Hi guys and welcome back to another true crime and makeup time video. If you're new here, my name is Zara and I post a new true crime video every single week. So if you love makeup and you love true crime, go ahead, hit that subscribe button, help me out and it would mean so much to me. And if you have any cool case suggestions, definitely leave them in the comments and I would love to do that for you. So today's case, it's about a woman named Kathleen Folbig. And what do we say about Kathleen? She has been labeled as Australia's worst female serial killer. However, recently there have been questions and inquiries into Kathleen's case. And the question is, was she wrongly convicted? So this case deals with child loss. So I just want to put that trigger warning out there and when I was researching it, it's definitely um, a difficult case for me to do because you guys know I'm pregnant. And um, yeah, just any type of child loss is so difficult. And in my opinion, I believe that this case um, deals with postpartum depression. And recently I've had, um, you know, an experience with that. Not myself. Um, I didn't have it with my first child and you know, hopefully I don't have it with my second child, but it's something serious. And, um, I have very strong thoughts on this topic. So again, trigger warning, if it's going to upset you, it's child loss. So yeah, let's get into today's case. So I guess you could say Kathleen's life has been tough from the start. She was born out of wedlock on June 14th, 1967, to Kathleen May Donovan and an immigrant hoist driver and petty criminal Thomas Britton. In December 1969, when Kathleen wasn't even two years old, her father, Thomas, stabbed her mother, Kathleen, to death. And when that happened, Kathleen was declared a ward of the state. And, you know, upon examination, a doctor actually stated that he believed that Kathleen was possibly sexually abused by her father at that super, super young age of under two. She was actually placed in the care of her mother's sister initially, but that aunt declared her to be, oh, Kathleen is so uncontrollable and yeah, like she just didn't want her. And this aunt actually claimed that Kathleen was a super disturbed young child, which is She's like two, which is insane, and claimed that this girl was super aggressive towards other little children. And due to this, this stupid aunt, she um, was sent to live in a children's home. And look, it could like I could be wrong, but what two year old is like seriously disturbed that like to the point where this person cannot get help? You know, like if this child just re received some love, affection, some freaking care if she was being abused by her father like like I just feel like this poor girl poor Kathleen so then when she was three when she was in this children's home uh sorry after she was in this children's home when she was three she gets placed with a foster family so she was adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Marlborough who ran a very strict but a happy household at school, Kathleen had two good friends, uh, Tracy Chapman and Megan Donegan, and all three of them shared this love of motocross together. 
And although she finished her like final year of high school, which over here in Australia, it's year 12, she never actually sat for her final exams because at that time she found out, you know, about her past. She found out that she was actually not adopted and this was due to her father murdering her mother. She tells her friend Megan that her well, her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Marlborough, from what she believed, told her that, oh, we never adopted you. You became a ward of the state when your father murdered your mother and that's how we just like ended up with you. So like I'm like, wow, that's pretty harsh to like tell, you know, a young teenager. Like that's pretty mean. Megan didn't know what to say and Kathleen was never offered counseling or anything like that because it wasn't like done, you know, back then it was looked down upon. Both her father, her biological father, and her mother allegedly liked to drink. They were both alcoholics. And on the night that Kathleen's mother was murdered, they had had an argument and Kathleen, her mother, stormed off. Thomas went after her. He like he begged her to come back. She refused. And then he just lost it and stabbed her 24 times in the middle of a Sydney street. Kathleen's mother died before the ambulance even arrived. Her father actually served 15 years in prison before being deported back to England, where he was originally from. I mean, that alone is too much for a young person to even come to grips with. Like, I feel like her foster parents, you know, should have been a little bit more sensitive in that regard. So in her foster family, she grew up with a much older brother and sister. And Kathleen claimed that Mrs. Marlborough, so her mother, was extremely cold and distant. And she claimed she was extremely controlling towards Kathleen. So six months before she actually finished high school, she moved out of the family home. She just found life with the Marlboros too unbearable, especially after finding out this information. I, I can imagine it like destroys your life and like the idea of what you thought your life was. And she left the home to just go and find a new life and start a job and just see what she could do for herself. In 1985, when she was just 18, she met a man named Craig Folbig, who she described as her knight in shining armor. He was 23 years old and he was a clerk for a mining company. And Kathleen at the time just worked as a waitress for an Indian restaurant. Within a few years, couple years in 1987, they bought a home together in Newcastle. And then in September of that year, they married and had officially conceived their first child together. When Kathleen made the decision to marry him, she was extremely happy, so happy, because she finally had her own family unit, you know, potentially. He wants, you know, all the things she wants. He wants the house. She wants the house. He wants a big family. She wants a big family. Like family was so important to Kathleen. And I think this was important to her because she thought like that was the dream. You know, like that was what made life worth it. Meet a man, get married, you know, have some kids, have a family together. That's what life was all about. On 1st February 1989, Kathleen gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, healthy, pink, and they named him Caleb Folbig. According to Craig, Kathleen was very excited to be a mother he described her as comfortable, calm, and diligent. Like she was just one of those who, you know, was made to be a mother. So on 20th February, 1989, at around 1 a.m., Kathleen 
goes, puts Caleb to bed as usual. Before that, she fed him and then she puts him to bed in um, a, like a room that was adjoining their master bedroom. It was just like an open room that was like attached to their master bedroom, essentially. And Craig, he was a pretty heavy sleeper because at that point he he was working full time. So he really was like, you know, knocked out. And due to this, he left the nighttime care of their new baby to Kathleen. She was the one who would tend to Caleb overnight and, you know, attend to all his feeds and things like that, as, you know, most new mothers do. Prior to this, Caleb was diagnosed with a breathing condition known as Laro, let me read it, Laryngomalacia. And I feel like my son was diagnosed with something like that. Too. I mean, he was never diagnosed with it, but like, I feel like he had that. And it, what it basically is, is a condition where the babies breathe really noisily but they usually grow out of it like fairly quickly like it's not like it's not a cause for concern or anything like that so yeah so Caleb probably you know had this too and he probably just breathed really noisily and it kind of just sounds like the newborn is like snoring that's kind of what it sounds like at about 3 a.m about one hour after Caleb was last fed Craig is awoken by a really loud scream Craig ran into the room where Caleb was sleeping and he, you know, sees Kathleen standing at the edge of the, of Caleb's bassinet screaming. And when Craig arrived, there was a small amount of blood and froth around Caleb's mouth. Craig performed CPR until the ambulance came and took Caleb to the hospital but unfortunately at the hospital, Caleb was declared dead. The cause of death was listed as SIDS, which is just so sad. Caleb was only 19 days old at the time. SIDS is um, sudden infant death syndrome, which is basically the death of a child, like an unexplained death of a child below the age of one. On Caleb's first birthday, Craig had written a letter to his son and the letter stated, you know, my love, I miss you terribly and I always will until my dying day. I just don't think you ever get over the loss of a child. And I mean, for them, it would have been, you know, so difficult. But by now, the couple, Craig and um, Kathleen, they actually had their second child on the way. By the time of Caleb's um First birthday, Kathleen was now six months pregnant. Patrick Allen Folbig was born on 3rd June 1990. And like his brother before him, Patrick was born super healthy, nothing wrong, no issues. And Craig recalls that both him and Kathleen were like euphoric on the birth of their second son. This time, Craig stayed at home from work for three months to help Kathleen look after their new baby. And in October 1990, when Patrick was four months old now, Craig is again awoken in the middle of the night with a loud scream. And it's like deja vu. He finds Kathleen screaming, standing at the bottom of the baby's bassinet. Craig notices that, um, Patrick is not breathing, so he attempts to revive him. And an ambulance is called, and Patrick, he survives this incident because Craig was able to perform CPR um, so quickly. But from that point on, and due to, you know, what happened to him, he's such a little baby, 
Uh, Patrick would suffer from seizures. He would later be diagnosed with suffering from epilepsy and cortical blindness. Basically, when a baby um, loses oxygen for several minutes, they can really, well, they're so susceptible to just suffering from severe brain damage, which, well, the brain damage is the thing that would have caused the seizures. And then on February 13th, 1991, when Patrick is now eight months old, Kathleen again calls an ambulance because she finds Patrick not breathing in his bed. And this time the ambulance could not save him. And Patrick also died. This time Kathleen had to call Craig while he was at work and she calls and tells him it's happened again it's happened again Patrick's death certificate listed his cause of death as asphyxiation suffering uh, suffered from epilepsy both Craig and Kathleen were devastated but they you know they both grieved in different ways and this obviously caused a lot of tension in their marriage I mean Losing a child, I'm sure, is so difficult, but then losing two so close together, like, I can't imagine what they were going through. By the end of 1991, so like 10 months later, Kathleen tells Craig that she wants to try again for another baby. And so baby Sarah was born on 14th October 1992. And at this time, during this time, um, remember Kathleen's friend Megan from high school? So at this time, she reconnected with Megan and... They, Megan was also pregnant at the same time. So they went through their pregnancy together. They went to the same obstetrician. They had their appointments like straight after each other. They tie each other's shoes up when they couldn't reach, um, you know, because of their bellies, they couldn't reach their own shoes. And after Sarah was born and Megan's son, Alex was born, their babies played together, you know, all the time, like on the floor while the two moms chatted, you know, and hung out, drank coffee. And Megan says that Sarah, Kathleen's baby was a super cheeky, fun baby. She says Kath, they called her Kathy. She says Kathy was a super attentive mother and um, she never, ever got angry at her baby, like at Sarah. Megan even asked Kathleen and Craig to be Alex's godparents. That's how close they were. That's how much she sort of respected Kathleen. However, Megan was not allowed to look after Sarah alone as Megan didn't have any um, CPR training, which is understandable after losing two children and what Kathleen had suffered, you know, before. So she obviously wanted, she was obviously, you know, not paranoid, I would say, because it happened twice, but she was stressed out about that. And it was around this time that Craig states that he noticed a change in Kathleen. Like she became a super regimented, like, rigid type of person and he says with Sarah she just like when she had Sarah Kathleen just became sort of like harder about things bedtime eventually started to become a source of conflict for them as a couple because every time she went to put Sarah down to bed it was like world war three or is it world war two whatever the world war is that didn't happen he recalls the night of August 30th, 1993, when Sarah was 10 months old and he heard Kathleen like getting frustrated and growling at, at Sarah, the baby, as she tried to settle Sarah to sleep. And when Craig came in, you know, trying to help or something, she tells him to like fuck off. And he says that she then comes out of the room after attempting to settle Sarah again and like throw Sarah at him and says to Craig, you fucking deal with her. He says that he had never seen Kathleen behave that way before. Now, I want to mention something here, okay? Side note, while I'm not condoning Kathleen's behavior in this moment, I can understand it. And I'm sure a lot of moms can understand it. Being a parent to a newborn, a baby, it's rough. 
rough out here in them streets. I'm telling you. Okay. Maybe not for all, but we all have different tolerance levels, right? But for those who don't have kids yet, it's so hard physically and mentally. I remember my newborn days with Carter as a first time mom and I had help from my husband, Jay. He was the most hands-on dad ever. Like I did not change a single diaper until Carter was like at least a week old. I'm pretty sure I didn't. I was just like recovering from what happened, giving birth, like the mental trauma of it all. Like, and to be honest, my situation wasn't even that bad. But for me, in my experience, I was like, whoa, what just happened? You know? So with Kathleen, I can understand her frustration with Sarah, you know, not sleeping at the time, but that's what babies do. You realize that as you become a mom, like you just realize that. But when it's your first time, you may not understand it. And maybe she was trying to get Sarah to sleep for hours and maybe Craig wasn't helping. Like, we don't know. I don't know. I'm just looking at the other side. And Jay and I were able to get Carter to sleep the whole night, like 12 hours, 13 hours from the, from the time he turned like six or seven months old. And till date, he's three. He sleeps 12 to 13 hours overnight, like no issue. If he didn't, I would lose my mind. I would have no time for this. I would have no time to film these videos, like I would be so sleep deprived, I would just lose my mind. Sarah was 10 months old. It's normal for babies not to sleep overnight for a long time. Like six to seven months old and sleeping overnight, it's not common, I know that, but I had someone helping me, that's my point. So maybe Kathleen was doing it by herself and yeah, it's normal for babies to do this. That's all I'm trying to say. And it's a normal sort of feeling to be frustrated, you know, at your, at like as at the situation, not really at your baby, but at the situation. So when Kathleen was acting that way, it sounds really bad, but we don't know what she was going through in that moment. You know what I'm saying? That's all I want to say. So again, on the night of August 30th, 1993, Craig is awoken from his sleep by a scream. He went into Sarah's room. He grabs his daughter who was all warm and floppy, but she wasn't breathing. So he started CPR once again for the third time on a third child. And he instructs Kathleen to call an ambulance. She just sat outside the door crying and screaming. It was too late. Sarah's cause of death was then recorded as SIDS yet again. Now four years have passed. Um, I don't know how they stayed married. I don't know how they could go on, but they did. It is now August 7th, 1997. And their fourth child, a daughter, Laura was born. Now one can say like, man, you keep having these kids and this keeps happening to you. I mean, but if it really was SIDS, who are we to tell someone, you know, to have children or not to have children? Do you know what I mean? So Kathleen during this time, so now during this time, Kathleen had begun to keep a journal or maybe she's always kept a journal, but, um, this time she began writing about her kids in this journal. So I'm going to go through and read to you throughout the video, certain statements she made in her journals about her kids. So about her new baby, Laura, she wrote this. She said, scary feelings. I've realized I actually love her and have bonded with her. I wish to protect her, etc. Maternal instinct is what they call it. I now know I never had it with the other three. So then when Laura uh, turned one, Craig and Kathleen threw like a huge party for her. And Laura was known to be really special according to family and friends. She had a really, really full personality, really like vivacious young girl. And, you know, she was the one that grew up that sort of made it. She turned one. The others hadn't 
made it to that age, they were still babies when they passed. She was loved by everyone. And on her first birthday, everyone, all family and friends spoiled her. She was the first child to turn one. And in February of that year, Kathleen wrote in her journal that she just felt constant worry about Laura. On 1st March 1999, Craig goes to work and Kathleen goes to the gym with Laura. At the time, Laura was 20 months old. And once they're on their way home, well, I'm guessing when she took her to the gym, I'm guessing there was like a like a play area or like an area where people would mind your child. So I'm guessing Kathleen went to the gym and Laura was being watched. And then, um, so they're driving home and then on the way home, Laura falls asleep in the car. So then when they get home, Kathleen transfers Laura from her car seat to her crib at home. And then she just leaves Laura sleeping in there. She hears Laura like having a coughing fit in her sleep. So around 15 to 20 minutes later, that's when she goes and checks on Laura. When she goes in to check on Laura, she finds Laura once again, not breathing. She calls an ambulance, tries to perform CPR while on the phone waiting for the ambulance, but it doesn't work. And a week prior to her death, Laura had actually begun having a cold. It ended up being a viral infection that caused inflammation of the heart muscle and the cause of death was listed as undetermined but because she was over the age of one technically it couldn't be classified as SIDS. Their fourth child had now passed away. When she died Kathleen states that she couldn't feel anything anymore. She was she was done. She said she was never going to be a mother and she was never going to have the family that she had so des- desperately longed for and dreamed of. In the 90s, um, a doctor made a statement that um, there was this sentiment that one death was a tragedy, two was considered suspicious, and three should be classified as homicide until proven un- like otherwise. Her friend Megan, uh, Kathleen's friend Megan states that people say that Kath never showed any emotion, but she says that there was a wake Um, after Laura's funeral at their house and Kathleen asked Megan to go with her into Laura's bedroom and the reason for this is because she couldn't cry in front of like all the people there at the wake and she says as soon as they went into the room Kathleen was just like crying and then Megan too was like a blubbering mess and she says that she says of her friend no one can judge how one person grieves it's such a personal thing and it's not that Kathleen was cold it's that she was numb so obviously now this being the fourth child loss and um the fact that laura's death was considered to be undetermined when uh kathleen and craig went to the hospital detective constable bernard ryan went to question the parents soon after listening devices were planted in their home and i didn't even know that was legal but okay and craig says it was then he found a journal that made him want to vomit. He delivered it to the police who then formed their opinion that Kathleen systematically murdered each and every one of her children. They determined that she had done this by smothering all of them. Kathleen was then arrested and charged and those diaries, those journal entries now form like part of her story. When Kathleen was trying to fall pregnant with Laura, she would write in her journal that she was left feeling inadequate. She writes that, I feel as though it's my fault. I think it's deserved. After everything that's happened, I suppose I deserve to never have kids again. A few days later, she makes the comment in her journal, I guess I am my father's daughter. 
And people believe that's in reference to her, her father killing her mother. In January 1997, she wrote, Stress made me do terrible things. My guilt of how responsible I feel for them all haunts me. My fear it will happen again haunts me. What sort of mother am I? Have I been? A terrible one. That's what it boils down to. That's how I feel and that's what I think I'm trying to conquer with this baby. To prove that there's nothing wrong with me. If other women can do it, so can I. Kathleen's sister or foster sister, Leah Brown, uh, from the Marlboro family, she states that she witnessed Kathleen show over-the-top anger towards baby Laura. And I do want to read um, some more of Kathleen's diary entries to you guys. I think it's important to see her frame of mind, I guess. So about her daughter, Laura, she wrote, she's a fairly good-natured baby, thank goodness. It has saved her from the fate of her siblings. I think that she was warned. I feel like the worst mother on this earth, scared she'll leave me now like Sarah did. I knew I was short-tempered and cruel sometimes to her, and she left, with a bit of help. On November 9th, 1997, she writes, Craig was pretty drunk Friday night. In his drunken stupor, he admitted that he's not really happy. There's a problem with his security level with me, and he has a morbid fear about Laura. Well, I know there's nothing wrong with her, nothing out of the ordinary anyway, because it was me, not them. I think I handle her fits of crying better than I did with Sarah. I've learned to, once getting to me, to walk away and breathe in for a while myself. It helps me cope and figure out how to help her. With Sarah, all I wanted was to shut her up. In an entry from January 28th, 1998, she writes about Laura, I've done it. I've lost it with her. Got so bad, I nearly purposely dropped her on the floor and left her there. I think like the crazy thing about um, this situation is that, again, in my opinion, I, I think she was definitely struggling with each child and going through, I don't know if it's postpartum depression because I'm not a doctor. I don't want to diagnose someone, but she was definitely going through something, don't you think? Like I was saying, it's normal to feel, you know, frustrated in some type of way when you have a newborn, but like these diary entries, I mean, to actually put that down on paper, even if you think no one's ever, I mean, you write it down because you think no one's ever going to see it, but what do you guys think? What's, um, what conclusion do you come to? Do you think that she wasn't suffering from postpartum depression and she's just a monster? Or do you think that she really, really was struggling and her mental state of mind like switched? But then I guess we don't really know what her mental frame of mind was like before she had kids. So I don't know. So the reason why the detective constable even visited Kathleen and Craig in the hospital was because a suspicious GP actually telephoned the police and was like, you got to check this family out because I mean, four children had passed away. So he was just like, I, I think he did the right thing. He didn't want to let it sort of just fly under the radar. So they placed the listening devices into, uh, the Folbig's home. They took Kathleen in for questioning and then began interviewing and questioning friends and relatives. Detectives would later say that on those listening devices, they found or heard Kathleen basically rehearsing like evidence for court. She was heard practicing whether she cried on the right occasions, whether she gave the right evidence. In April 2001, Kathleen Folbig was arrested and charged for the murders of four of her children. Now, the deaths of the children had been passed off mostly as, ep um, as epileptic fits for Patrick and Sids, but pathology experts claimed that all four children had actually been smothered by their mother. Kathleen was the only person to go and locate the dead children, even though Craig was in the house 
for three of the incidents. The same happened when Patrick was found, you know, dead only to be resuscitated and then die a few months later. And none of the children had coexisted with any of their siblings. They were all, you know, they were all sort of created to replace the lost child. Kathleen had never thought that her diaries would ever see the light of day. Like if it wasn't for Craig, nobody would have ever known. Kathleen actually wrote in her diary, like, tell you what, don't think anyone who would find this could even read what I'm writing. I have the writing of a five-year-old, something like that. And it was crazy that Craig was the one who turned these journals in. I'm guessing after all these years, he had his suspicions, you know, but maybe when he stumbled across these journal entries, he was like, what the fuck? Kathleen pleaded not guilty and was eventually granted bail while awaiting trial. And she was pretty confident that she would be acquitted. The prosecution put forth that Kathleen smothered all her children uh, in bouts of frustration. Kathleen relied on the defense that all four of her children had died from natural causes and she denied the contents of her diary, you know, claiming that they were no motives for her to kill her children. Her defense stated that Kathleen did not kill or murder any of her children and that she also didn't believe that Craig was responsible for the deaths of any of the children. They claimed there were natural explanations for each of their deaths, such as sudden infant death syndrome. And in the case of Laura's death, it was myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart. They say that Kathleen was actually a super attentive mother who always kept her kids clean, well-fed, well-taken care of. And she was always attentive to their appointments with doctors. Like she never showed any signs of not wanting to care for her children. Many of her diary entries also show that she was in fact a concerned parent. Like she would question, you know, when things would go wrong with the kids and their health and things like that. And witnesses and even Craig, you know, had to testify that they believed Kathleen enjoyed or showed that she enjoyed being a parent. The prosecution had no evidence that wasn't circumstantial and they um, questioned at least eight expert witnesses and none of the doctors even came to a consensus of the cause of death for any of the children, like a, you know, like smothering or something like that. However, on 21st May 2003, Kathleen was convicted on all four murder charges for the death deaths of her four children, Caleb, Patrick, Sarah, and Laura. Kathleen just collapsed at the verdict and she sobbed and sobbed and just kept saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm not guilty. The judge stated that Kathleen was psychologically damaged and she was unable to shrug off the irritation of like unwell, willful and disobedient children. I mean, they were babies. I find that a weird statement to make because babies are not trying to be disobedient. They're not trying to be willful. They're not trying to be any of those things. They don't have the power to do those things, you know? It's a weird statement for the judge to make. Kathleen is serving a 30-year maximum sentence and is now into year 18 of her 25-year minimum sentence, with an earliest possible release date being 2028, so six years from now. In prison, Kathleen was actually held in like a segregated area because she was like attacked because she, you know, allegedly committed crimes against children and people hate child killers, you know. In jail, baby killing is regarded as like the lowest of the low, and Kathleen got a ton of abuse, cop threats and physical abuse, um, during her time and well, during her early years in prison. Eventually she worked in prison jobs and even became like the den mother with the with like the other inmates. And she continued to claim her innocence for years. And by 2010, she had like a mountain of petitions to free her 
from prison. Kathleen became one of the most hated women in Australia, but her friends went to work trying to set her free. The arguments for them on why she should be granted freedom was that too much emphasis was placed on her diary entries and not enough on whether evidence was found of the kids being smothered or harmed in any way. They said that the pathologist who determined Laura's death as, uh, what was it determined as? Undetermined. <laughs> Undetermined. That she was wrong and that the pathologist should have actually um, listed Laura's cause of death with as the myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart. This pathologist later said in 2019 that he couldn't actually exclude myocarditis as an actual cause of Laura's death. So it's like, man, what's the truth? What's not? Like, how are people making these errors if that's a thing, you know? Now, the year that Kathleen was jailed was the same year that the Human Genome Project was completed. And in 2019, the New South Wales government opened an inquiry into the four babies' deaths, the four full big children's deaths, and they actually had their genomes sequenced. Now, I don't know science stuff like that, but the findings on this actually casted some doubt as to whether Kathleen was actually guilty. I'm going to read about their mutations. So Caleb and Patrick had rare variants in a gene known as BSN, which when defective in mice can cause lethal epilepsy, which could explain the blood and froth around Caleb's mouth, which seemed to never have been addressed. But Patrick, we knew that he suffered epileptic um, fits after being revived um, by Craig, his dad, um, when he first initially stopped breathing. And then Sarah and Laura had a novel genetic mutation in the CALM2 gene, and they found that the CALM2 -L mutation can cause sudden death in infants and children. So remember Laura, they were like unsure because she was already over the age of one. Well, this apparently could cause death to this, this gene mutation. And this study was forming the basis to free Kathleen. There were 90 people who signed this petition, like even like big doctors and chief scientists and stuff like that actually signed it on the basis that they believed Kathleen was innocent. And now this petition just lies in the hands of the attorney general in New South Wales, like awaiting an outcome. They say that, you know, pardons are rare, like pardons from crimes are rare. But at the same time, these people are like, well, why bring in scientific evidence if you're not even going to listen to the scientific evidence? So if this is what they believe caused the children's deaths, then what do you do? Like, do you just release Kathleen? Do you know what I mean? So you guys, what do you think? I don't know. I'm as confused as ever. At first I was like, oh, for sure she's guilty. For sure. For sure. Like the way she, her diary and like, just the way that, how coincidental that every single baby died in the same way. You know what I mean? Like they all died in their beds and it's just, it's just, it, it was just weird to me. I mean, not only did Craig say she had weird behavior, but those diary entries, man, like, but that also could be her form of venting some type of psychosis going on. I don't know. It's quite possible that she could have had both going on at the same time. Like the children were sick and then she was also dealing with the psychosis and it just, was bad timing. I mean, who writes those sorts of things about their children, especially about baby Sarah? Like some of the stuff she wrote about her is so mean. I mean, those, the, the defense states that those diary entries are nothing more than the insights on a mother struggling to cope with motherhood. And in my opinion, I definitely feel that Kathleen was suffering from some type of postnatal postpartum something. 
And I believe she was suffering from it with each child because there's no evidence or science to prove that, oh, it only happens one time. It only, you know, it could happen. It could never happen or it could happen with every kid. It could happen with one kid. You just don't know. It's all about the balance of hormones and things like that. You know, the thing about baby Caleb that kind of stresses me out is like he was only 19 days old. And I mean, do you get that pissed with a 19 year old, 19 day old baby? The blood found around his mouth at first and the froth and stuff didn't really sit right with me. I mean, does SIDS cause that? But then like that gene mutation and the fact that that can cause an epileptic fit kind of makes sense because a 19 year old, 19 day old baby having a fit by himself, like, I don't know how that works. You know what I mean? But at the same time, yeah, people can get mad at babies because how many times do we hear about horrible people doing horrible things to babies because they get frustrated with the cries and the dealing with that baby, you know? So it could go either way with Caleb. But these DNA mutations are found in all babies, like all four babies, which seems excessive, but at the same time, they're, they're siblings. Maybe it was. I mean, they can cause sudden death, but did they cause the death of the children? I don't know. It's really sad either way. These four children just tragically passed away and this family had to deal with four losses either way. One thing I do want to point out though, and this is from my experience as being a mom, they look after you when you're pregnant. They look after you when you give birth. And, you know, a couple weeks into the baby's life, they check on you, they check on the baby. But then, what? It's radio silence. Why is there no more care, at least in Australia, I'm speaking about Australia, why is there no more care for mothers postpartum and babies once they're born? I know we have to take babies to doctor's checkups and things like that, but why aren't there mandatory checkups? I mean, I'm sure if you didn't go to your six-week baby checkup with your doctor, they may call you and be like, yeah, come in. You know, maybe they'll chase you up a little bit, maybe for that six-week checkup. But then what about the two-month checkup? What about the six-month checkup? What about the seven-month checkup? You know, like we don't know when people are struggling during new parenthood. I feel like babies and mothers and even the dads should be checked up on for the first two years of, you know, a child's life. I, I mean, that's what I think. And if parents don't attend these checkups and things like that, there should be mandatory home visits. Like you should be checking on your people. I feel like so many cases, bad things can be prevented this way. I so strongly believe in this. And luckily I did not suffer with postpartum depression with my son. But for the first few days as a new mom, I was like, what the fuck? Like it was so wild for me, you know? And some help from a medical professional or to be honest, even your family and friends telling you it's okay to feel this way. It's normal to not know what you're doing. Normal for babies not to sleep and everything is normal. Normal for you to worry about, you know, them. I used to be so worried that my son, you know, wouldn't be safe in his sleep. Like I was so worried about SIDS. I really was. I, would, I wouldn't sleep because I would check on him all the time. And guess what? That also makes you not sleep and lack of sleep fucks you up real hard, real hard. This should be told to new moms and even second, third, fourth, fifth time moms. And it doesn't get told. So whenever I meet people, you know, who are pregnant or my new mom friends, I always tell them like, it's hard out here for a pimp. Like when you're a mom, it's hard. Okay. It's hard. And we need to support each other and look out for each other. Like if we're not going to do it, no one will do it for us. And us being family and friends of people, like check on your friends, mental health, new moms or not, but especially new moms, even if the kids are older, like check on their mental health. Even those people that look like 
they're doing real well. Like those moms that'd be posting Instagram photos, you know, everything's perfect. Check on them too. Anyway, I'm sorry if I rambled, but I'm super passionate about this. So let me know your thoughts down in the comments down below. I would love to hear um, what you guys think about this situation. And I will see you in the next video, guys. Besitos. Bye.